Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You ready? Let's do it. Yep. Welcome to two. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just laugh when I because speak. you just because like, <laughs> it's just like I'm fighting it. I'm fighting it. Oh my god. Uh, right. Okay. Fifty episodes. <laughs> Professional. Fifty times. Do you think we're getting worse? In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. My name is Amy Donaldson. And I'm Hunter Mulcair. On this podcast, we chat about psychology, therapy, research, little bits and pieces we come across along the way. And tonight, it's our 50th episode, so we decided to do something a little bit different. Something fun. Yes. When we're hanging out off mic, we often chat about psychologists in movies. Whenever we come across one, we have a bit of a chat about how we would have done things differently or aspire to, to be like some of them. And so we thought that we would have a chat about our favourites. We've picked an assortment, some of them are from serious things, some are comedies. We thought that it would give people a flavour of what therapy can be like. And even though things seem in movies a little bit, you know, over-dramatised or unrealistic, often the scenarios that are portrayed fit with what we have in our day-to-day life. So we wanted to have a more casual chat about therapy and about what it can be like. Mm, Exactly. And what we wanted to do was to sort of bring therapy alive a little bit. The way that we talk sometimes can be a bit cold and a bit clinical. I mean, that's obviously the point. Being a psychologist, you want to be able to do that. But we thought through showing you and playing some clips and then discussing them that it would bring sort of a bit more energy and emotion into some of the stuff that we do. And then we can also kind of talk about you know, what we'd like to do or how we would do things differently and things like that. So Mm. it should be a bit of fun. If we've missed any episodes or clips from movies that you think would be worthwhile covering, then by all means contact us on twoshrinkspod at gmail.com or on Twitter at twoshrinkspod. You can tell us and let us know what some of your favourite clips are or clips that drive you absolutely insane. Shall we kick it off with Gross Point Blank? Yes, we should kick it off with Gross Point Blank. Gross Point Blank is one of my favourite films. It stars John Cusack and I think it's one of Amy's favourite films as well. Yeah, I love it. It's a film about a hitman played by John Cusack and he goes back to his 10-year high school reunion. In this clip we're going to play you, uh, John Cusack is playing a character called Martin Q. Blank and he's seeing his therapist, Dr. Oatman, and we'll just let this play. I got invited to my 10-year high school reunion. I'm conflicted. I mean, I don't know if I really want to go. It's in Detroit, you know, and I grew up there, but I just honestly don't know what I have in common with those people anymore. I mean, or with anyone, really. I mean, they'll all have husbands and wives and children and houses and dogs, and, you know, they'll make themselves a part of something, and they can talk about what they do, and what am I going to say? I killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? I just think it'll be depressing. It'll be depressing. Shouldn't you be taking notes or something? I'm not taking notes, Martin, because I'm not your doctor. Please don't start with that stuff again. Martin, I'm emotionally involved with you. 
How are you emotionally involved with me? I'm afraid of you. You're afraid of me. And that constitutes an emotional involvement, and it would be unethical for me to work with you under those circumstances. Don't you think maybe you're just upset because I told you what I do for a living, and you got upset, and you're letting it interfere with our dynamic? Whoa. Martin, you didn't tell me what you did for a living. For yes, I did. You didn't tell me what you did for a living for four sessions. Then you told me. And I said, I don't want to work with you. And yet you come back every week at the same time. That's a difficulty for me. On top of that, if you've committed a crime or if you're thinking about committing a crime, I have to tell the authorities. I know the law, OK? But I don't want to be withholding. I'm very serious about this process. And I know where you live. Oh, and I see. That wasn't a nice thing to say. That wasn't designed to make me feel good. That's a kind of a not-too-subtle intimidation, and I, uh, I get filled with anxiety when you talk about something like that. Come on, I mean, that's... Come on. I was just kidding, all right? The thought never crossed my mind. You did think of it, Martin. You thought of it, and then you said it. And now I'm left with, uh, with the aftermath of that, thinking I gotta, I gotta be creative in a really interesting way now, or Martin's gonna blow my brains out. You're holding me hostage here. That's not right. I just want to work. Okay, there's some issues that I need to work on in my life. I've read your books, your bestsellers on the top 20. They were both ghostwritten, Martin. What, The Annihilation of Death? Yeah. The Kill Who, A Warrior's Dilemma? I read it, New York Times top 20. Well, I don't, I don't know what to say. Well, what do you say to other patients, you know? I don't know, how does it work? Ask me how I'm feeling. How do you feel? I'm feeling uneasy, man. So we'll play the next little bit of that clip in just a second, but I just love the setup of <laughs> working with a hitman <laughs> and... It's, it's playful laughs there, but what's pretty interesting there is that the therapist, Dr. Oatman, is actually setting up a pretty clear boundary yeah. and kind of, actually, you've threatened me. Yeah, that's not okay. That's not okay. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm afraid of you. I'm owning my own emotions mm. here. And this is a problem. This is affects the dynamic. Yeah. And then he calls it out and says, you know, look... Like, I feel like I need to be creative. Hmm. And actually, I said something similar, not with a hit client, <laughs> but to someone recently where I was just saying, you know, you don't give me much emotion stuff. Hmm. And I feel like I have to work really hard to draw that out, to draw it out of you. Hmm. And I'm just wondering what that's about. Hmm. And because I was like, you know, essentially like, like, I really don't want to have to keep doing that because hmm. it's going to fail at some point. Yeah. So whilst it's played for laughs, I think that was quite interesting. Yeah. Did you have a. I mean, he's he's very engaged in treatment. He's attending regularly. <laughs> he's on time to his appointments. Like we've got to give him some credit. So, could you imagine that though? Like you, you 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 have a hitman and he just keeps coming in. It's like, I, how do I? It would always be the hitman who would keep coming in. It's, it's it's the direct opposite of that because it's usually the client you're trying to get to come in. Mm. But anyway, yeah. so we'll play the next little bit. I'm feeling uneasy, man. Um, I'm just dispassionate. I'm bored. I'm, it's hard to stay in a good mood. Had problems at work, you know, concept execution stuff and just ill at ease. Well, look, Martin, I don't want to suggest anything that might be uncomfortable for you, but you might consider, just consider the possibility that part of your problem, part of the thing that's making you so miserable is the angst over killing a lot of people. Maybe I just put it in the background there. Come on. If I show up at your door, chances are you did something to bring me there. Okay? I don't care about that stuff. You don't care about what stuff? You know, morality. Hmm. I don't want to talk about work because I don't think necessarily what a person does for a living reflects who he is. So what do we do? We talk about dreams or what's next? What's next? What's the score here? We'll talk about dreams. We can talk about dreams. Your nickel. Sure. Um, I had another one about Debbie. That girl you're obsessed with? What do you think obsessed is a strong word? Uh, recurring dreams of loss and pain for 10 years featuring the same person. Yeah, maybe it's a bit excessive. Um, I had one where I was uh, that television mechanical rabbit. You know, with the, 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 
The battery bunny. Yeah, I was the bunny. That sounds like a very, very depressed dream. Really? Yes. Why? Martin, it's a terrible dream. It's a depressing dream to dream about that rabbit. It's got no brain. It's got no blood. It's got no anima. It just keeps banging on those meaningless symbols endlessly and going and going and going. Time is up. T time's up already? You really want to do a half a session? Can we just pretend like we have a normal doctor-patient relationship? I'll ask you a piece of advice. You give me an answer. You know, advice. Should I go to the reunion? Yes, yes. Get out of town. Thank you. Go see some old friends. Have some punch. Visit with what's her name? Debbie. Debbie, don't kill anybody for a few days. See what it feels like. I'll give it a shot. No, no, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. Oh. <laughs> So, uh, thoughts? I think that it's interesting that even though he's threatened, he continues to try and challenge him. Or, you know, he still responds to him in some way. He might be a little bit more blunt and sort of displays his frustration a little more than what, you know, perhaps you might in that situation. Yeah. He's, it's, he's it's, still it's, engaged in the process. He hasn't just gotten up and, and left it. The therapist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. He, you can sort of see that he, he's interested. He wants to continue to pick this person apart. Mm. It's sort of almost like he can't help himself as yeah. a therapist to do it. And But certainly he's very over the top in his emotions, expressing mm. it and just exasperated by the fact that there's this guy there. Yeah. But then he's actually delivering... Like the first time I saw this a long time ago, I was like, oh, this is not really very accurate. But... Mm. He's he's kind of on the money in that it's like you're you're stuck, you're obsessed, mm. you know, and maybe it's your job, you're killing people, this is not so good. Yeah. You know, you need to go and live and set sets him like a nice therapeutic assignment. But he's also quite laid back or nonchalant in how he's delivering things. It's not like he's sitting him down and seriously having this discussion. He's doing it in the same offhanded manner that the hitman is. Yeah. That like, oh well I guess, you know. Yeah, sure, go to your reunion, try and see if you can't kill, you know, kill people for a few days. That sort of offhanded comment as if he's saying, maybe try and get some sleep, that sort of thing. It's yep. He's matching him yes. where he's at. Yeah. Yeah, taking the pressure off a little. And Martin Blank seems very confused and perplexed and the therapist is playing the role of the explainer of mm. like, well, what's actually happening? This this is what I think is happening. What, what I'm struck by is the fact it's he's so direct. Mm. I'm not sure I'm as direct as that. I'm much more Socratic yeah. in that way. of So Socratic means like you would – you lead a person to their own conclusions rather than telling them, mm. I guess is probably – and that's probably more my style or the way I was trained. Yeah, it's certainly a philosophy and psychology of not providing advice. Yep. That you're sort of helping someone to problem solve on their own rather than saying to them, this is what you should do. Yep. Unless the circumstances are risky or there's something like that where you need to kind of go, no, this is what you have to do. Yeah, or like, or it's clear that they're not going to get it. Mm. Or, you know, it's the end of the session and you really want to tell them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I think also part of like Hollywood stuff is they're condensing a 60-minute session into three minutes. Or Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to go to, which one are we going to go to? We're going to go to Frasier. Okay, so what's the setup for this one? The TV show Frasier is about a radio psychiatrist who's quite pompous and underneath it all quite insecure about, about himself and his therapeutic approaches. And for the majority of the seasons, I think there's 11 seasons, it's when you see him you know, working as a psychiatrist, it's on the radio, it's providing responses to people who call in. But then towards the 
end of the show, he gets frustrated with this and decides to go into therapy. And so the scene that we're going to play has him conducting therapy with a woman who's a nurse in a children's hospital and she has coulrophobia, which is a fear of clowns, and she's freaking out every time a clown comes into the children's hospital to cheer up the, the kids. And so he tries to do exposure therapy using a jack-in-the-box. You're doing fine, Mimi. There's nothing to be afraid of. Right. Just a tiny, inanimate piece of plastic that couldn't possibly hurt you. I know. You're doing great. I feel good. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. You're still in the room. You didn't throw up. <laughs> A big improvement. All right, now, give me your hand. Here's the tiny little hat. Tiny little hat, right? And the big red nose. The big red nose. Now, Mimi, is there anything you'd like to say to our little clown friend? Please don't kill me. No. <laughs> no, Mimi. Oh, I, I mean, uh, you're my friend, and I like you. <laughs> Excellent, Mimi. <laughs> All right, then. Now, tomorrow, we will take our biggest step yet. No, I really no, don't no, think I, that you I You are ready. Re you are. In the safety of this environment, you'll watch me transform myself into a real live clown. <laughs> I will apply the makeup. And then I'll put on the clown suit and the big funny shoes. <laughs> and time permitting, I will make animal balloons. And you really think that'll work? As long as you don't ask for anything too complicated like a giraffe. <laughs> well, our time is up. Um, all right then, Mimi. I will see you tomorrow. And rest assured, I will talk you through every step of the way. There's nothing to be afraid of. There will be no surprises. <laughs> so, so sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there he goes. All right. I, I will see you later then. <laughs> Again, I'm so sorry. Little fella really is full of mischief, isn't he? You mean you're not controlling it? Yes. Yes, of course I am. Anyway, I will uh, see you tomorrow. Yeah. Double session. <laughs> So I don't think she's coming back to that session. Possibly not. I mean, <laughs> it didn't go well. <laughs> what do you think about this one? Uh, it's pretty interesting. The notes that I was just writing down is the couple things there. So he's doing exposure therapy where you want to desensitize someone to the thing that they're afraid of. Mm. And there's two ways to do that. You can do it incrementally or you can flood someone. So flooding... Flooding would be if you've got a fear of claustrophobia or fear of lifts, for example, you go and stand in a lift for about four hours mm. with a therapist. Yeah. And, and you would And essentially you wear out that wear kind out. of system. Uh, or you can desensitise, which is do it slowly, mm. which is what he was trying to do. Mm. My, my immediate thought is like he's meant to be the safe base. Mm -hmm. And so when he's saying, oh, look, I'm going to – tomorrow I'm going to transform myself into a clown mm. – that's not the right way to do it. No, because it takes away the safety. Yeah, so the therapist should be the should be the the island of safety. Mm. What was what was your? I think the thing for me as well is that. 
being confronted with something fearful like a you know a clown even if it's a toy clown and that's what you're afraid of there shouldn't be shock involved in it as well <laughs> the jack in the box <laughs> the jack in the box particularly that you don't know when a jack in the box is going to go off yeah. you know there is that anticipation to it so you're adding in anxiety and anticipation into something that is already anxiety provoking <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't quite work and I, it, there's something about that kind of performance quality to Fraser's identity as well that, you know, he wants to dress up like a clown and then wants to make balloon animals. Like there's something that sort of feels like along the way he's lost that he's the therapist, that yeah. he's not just, he's taken on the role quite seriously. Yeah. I mean, it, part of it was in exposure work, you do want to, you need to be supportive mm. And, you know, encouraging someone. Mm. But when I've done exposure work Mm. and I've done some relatively recently, it was very much like, this is what we're going to do and I'm going to show you Mm. and then you're going to give it a go as much as you want to do it. And often for people it has to be in really small increments. So if you've never seen it done before, it might be, say, you're frightened of spiders getting to the point of looking at a picture of a spider might actually take a fair bit of work. It's not like you can just jump to it. And then touching the picture of the spider. Exactly. So he goes from being in the same room as a toy clown to then she's immediately touching the clown and then he's turning into the clown the next day. Like it's a sped up process. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where are we going next? So Analyze This is a film with Billy Crystal and it's got... Uh, also, Robert De Niro. But in the scene we're going to see, it's Billy Crystal and he's uh, Ben Sobel. He's a, I think he's a psychiatrist. Mm. And he's giving therapy to one of his clients. And in it, you'll see that he he's listening to the story. And then it cuts to what he, in his internal monologue of what he would like to say. And then what he actually says. And I, we have a few notes on this <laughs> one. I kept telling him that I needed room to grow and to find myself as a, as a person, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not just as a, as a woman, but as an independent entity. And then I told him that I needed to get in touch with my uniqueness, but he could not handle that. <laughs> he said that I was driving him away. He said I was driving him away. Do you think I was driving him away, Dr. Sobel? Caroline, things end. It's just a part of life. It's how we deal with things ending that's important. I just cannot believe that it's over between me and Steve, you know? I mean, maybe there's still hope. Well, he did take out a restraining order against you, and I have to be honest, that's usually not a good sign. But what should I do? Well... The first thing that I think that you should do is to stop whining about this pathetic loser, for Christ's sakes. You are a tragedy queen. Steve doesn't like me. Steve doesn't respect me. Who gives a shit? Get a fucking life! Dr. Sobel? Yes, yes, I, uh... I was just reflecting on your whole situation. It's very interesting what you were saying. So I want you to think about it. And I'm going to think about it. So we'll both think about it. Okay. (laughs) And we will continue next week when I get back from my vacation. (laughs) Caroline, what are you feeling? You're just like Steve. You just want to... You just want to... 
me and throw me out. Now, Caroline, you know that's not true. Yes, it's true. I am going to see you next week, where Steve never wants to see you again. <laughs> Have you ever put your foot in it that badly with somebody? Mm. I've made a sarcastic comment that didn't land. Mm. Yeah, that they didn't get that I was being yep. sarcastic. Yeah. And it was just, it was just a little too close to a nerve. Yes, yeah. Uh, I was able to recover, but I haven't bluntly said something <laughs> like that. How about you? I, yeah, probably the same. Yeah, like because sometimes I have patients who will say, "Oh, you know, I worry about being a bad patient mm. or something like that." But and I'm like, "Oh, you're the worst I've ever seen." Yeah, like, <laughs> you don't come on time, and you know whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't elaborate. But I thought, oh, you know. And a couple of times I've had that where they're like, they've looked at me shocked. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, that was a joke. <laughs> That's it. So why did you pick this one to talk about? Okay, so I have notes on this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's interesting there, first of all, he's not doing active listening. So he's no. just listening to her. Ends up in this situation where she's asking him for advice and then he's caught in this loop of trying to respond to it mm. or trying to get out of responding to it. Mm. So what he could have done would have been saying, so it feels like you drove him away and that makes you feel upset. Is that correct? Mm. Like just that kind of clarification, active listening. And right at the end, he kind of gives useless advice mm. that like I'll think about it and you'll think about it and we'll just think about it, yeah. like, which is just like I don't even know what and, that is. Well, it feels to me like he's been so thrown by his emotional reaction to her and his frustration that then he's kind of lost the track of where the conversation's at and it's kind of yeah. a stalling tactic. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can just think about it. I'll think about it. Yeah. yeah. So he has a l- lot of people will think, say, oh, how are you meant to be calm all the time as mm. a therapist? There's this false belief that therapists don't have emotions about their patients or that therapists shouldn't have emotions mm. about their patients. I would have I would have handled this completely differently. So I would have noticed that I was getting annoyed and irritated mm. with that person or hopefully I would have noticed. Yeah. And and then I would have gone, "Huh. If that person is if this is the way that I'm feeling, then what I would have done is I would have then asked her a question. So I would have said to her, I said, mm, "So tell me, let, let me just ask you some questions. So when you tell people this story, what's their reaction?" Mm. How do people react when you tell this story and talk about it? And odds on, other people would be frustrated. Mm. And then what I would say, huh, what's that like for you Mm. to tell this story and feeling like you've driven this guy away and there's been this restraining order and blah, 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 and then people are not giving you empathy about it. Oh, that would be awful. And then you would actually join empathetically with Mm. it because he's not empathizing with her and she's not feeling it and and therapy's failing as a result. And she's feeling more rejected because of that. It's hitting that nerve. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of the beauty of therapy often that you can use the relationship and what's going on in the room between you and the client to then give you clues of what's happening outside in the world and then how people might be responding or those kind of cycles that people get stuck in. Yeah. And it's been one of the skills that I picked up much later Mm. in my clinical career being able to really effectively use that and it makes therapy much more you know no pun intended dynamic Mm. right but i think it can feel risky for some people yeah because it is using yourself as part of that toolkit really and so 
it can make you feel more vulnerable or less certain about what you're doing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And you, I usually, unless it's sort of like really obvious stuff, I'll definitely, I'll wait a little bit before I'm... Um, so until you've gotten to know them a little bit better. Yeah, maybe session or two, mm. that kind of thing. Set uh, up a bit of that dynamic first before then. Yeah. yeah. But if you want to get really like therapeutic shifts quickly, mm. doing process comments are really, really great. Absolutely. And so that kind of stuff. The next one we're going to look at is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. With this clip, we're looking at a therapy session between Rebecca and her therapist, Dr. Acopian. She's been seeing her for quite a while. Rebecca's a woman who has is quite emotionally vulnerable. She's moved to this town because she happened to run into her high school boyfriend on the street in New York and decided that it was a sign and she needed to move across the country to be near him. She's quite swayed by relationships and just jumps into things. And later on you find out she has a diagnosis of BPD, so borderline personality disorder. And so she's been seeing this therapist for quite a while. The therapist is quite frustrated and expects her just to show up and not do much she often leaves five minutes in because she thinks of something that she needs to do or gets a phone call from josh the ex-boyfriend and so this is a session with the two of them i don't know i've been giving it a lot of thought and maybe rabbi sherry's right about me not loving myself you know maybe there's there's something else at the core of my unhappiness that that i didn't realize I'm sorry, what did you say? Well, she said that I wouldn't find my answers in another person, and I don't know, that's starting to make a lot of sense. Go on. Well, I moved to West Covina because I thought my problems would be solved by a boy. Now I'm with that boy, and I still have the same problems. So, I don't know, maybe it's something else. And if he is not the answer, what could it be about? It could be my own issues. Oh, what's wrong? Uh, Nothing. It's just... I'm so happy. Oh. (laughs) Could you stay a little longer today? my next five appointments. Rebecca, do you think that you're finally really ready to confront your issues? I think, I think maybe, yes, yes I am. So do you want to describe the body language of the therapist in that? At the start, she's Lent back, she's rolling her eyes a little. She's looking quite bored and disengaged. I would have said asleep is what yeah. I would have said. Yeah, she's holding one eye half open. And then when she hears those little clues that maybe Rebecca's changed her mind about things, she sits forward on the edge of her chair. She's quite sort of eager and then becomes almost tearful with pleasure that, that this might actually finally be happening. Yeah. I really feel for her in this because the therapist, the therapist yeah. Because over the course of the seasons, you see her really trying all sorts of different ways to engage Rebecca and being quite patient and boundaried and, you know, being there consistently. 
And every time she's disappointed and is left sitting there looking confused. And so I can relate to that thing of going, whoa, hang on, this is an actual shift. Like this is finally happening. Mm. This is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it has come from an external source that she's gotten this great wisdom yep. that, that they've been talking about for months. I can, I can kind of relate to that maybe things will shift kind of feeling. Yep. And I think the thing is with, with BPD, it's often about boundaries and being consistent. And she's really good at being consistent in just about every other session. And then in this one, she gets so overexcited <laughs> about it that she wants to cancel in the next five sessions to continue the therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that shows that the intensity of, of how she feels. Yeah. yeah. And that your feelings can come in like that. When you yep. kind of go... I'm going to just go with this yep. despite her better knowledge that actually boundaries and things like that are important with BPD. Yeah. It's interesting. So do you, so your work is much more long-term than mm. I think probably the work that I do currently. Yeah. And yeah, so you would is. probably get a bit more of that. I do. I do get a bit more of that, particularly with the teenagers. Yeah. There are a few occasions recently where sort of, you know, my clients have come up with things and it, and I felt like that. I felt like how she has where it's been that rush of, oh, oh, we've done it. Like we've, we've got a bit of a breakthrough here. Yeah. And it's a really tricky one to manage because often what it, you know, the thing that has come up for the person, the thing that they've realized is actually a really difficult thing. And you're not yes. excited about the content of the difficult thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not happy about that. You're happy that both of you have worked so hard and you've gotten to that point. And it's, it's quite satisfying to go, Whew, we did it. And often I own it with clients and kind of, can we pause for a second? Because that's major that you've got to that point. Yeah. And they can often acknowledge that in that way. And it owns how I'm feeling. It marks it without it being like, why is she excited that I've come out with this, yeah. this thing that was so hard for me to say? I, I can't think of a good analogy of what it's like. It, it's sort of like... The, the only analogy that's coming to my head, which is probably not a good one, is like someone doing like really complicated ski jumping or something mm. like that. Like it's sort of it's sort of exhilarating to sort of see it happen, mm. but it's really, really complicated and you're just trying to – for me, I think so this, in this one the therapist is quite sort of relaxed and like, oh, my gosh, this is unfolding. Mm. Whereas I think when I – have worked with people on many occasions where there's breakthroughs, where we're getting to the next level of mm. something. Like I'm usually quite highly focused mm. and really intent on what's happening, what they're saying and how I'm like... How like, you're responding. Like I'm, I'm like in a really, really focused state. That's interesting because I reckon that I'm a little bit more like like this, more, a little yeah. bit more like Dr. Kropian, that I'll have a really focused session the one before. Yes. And then the following session they'll come in and we'll just be chatting about something quite mundane or doing that sort of general lead-in to talking about something deeper. And, and then something will come up. And mm. it's like things have been processing in the week in between. Yeah. And then there it is. Yeah. See, I think about more like perhaps maybe it's because I work with, old, with mm. adults. There's a lot of stuff where I'll do is I'll talk. I'll do what I call psycho air, psychoeducation, mm. and I'll talk about a theory. Usually it's about schema, schema mm. modes or something like that. And I could talk about it in such a way and frequently that will lead to a couple of steps forward mm. where they disclose a bit more about how they function and why it is they function that way. In, and often in cases there'll be a, 
they'll disclose a trauma. Mm. And then it's quite interesting. I'm saying, have you been thinking about telling me this? Well, like I've said that to patients and mm. it's like, yeah, I've been... And other times they're like, oh, actually, I was never going to tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have one and then it's just say, come up. Say, oh, I'm a bit cross with you. I was never going to tell anybody mm. that. And I'm almost the end of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't going to come out. She, I mean, she was cool with it. But yeah. 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 It's interesting. It is. Yeah. The other question I had for you was, do you have that fr- sense of frustration from time to time with patients? From time to time, I do. But often because a lot of the work that I do is a systemic approach so it's multiple people yeah often it's that you know one person in that system say the kid is ready to change things they've on board with things and someone else in the system like one of the parents is stuck and so it's this tension between we're almost there like we could almost be moving this and then this one person is stuck or this yeah. one one part of things yeah. stuck. And so that's when it most often comes up for me. It's that thing of seeing the possibility of change mm. and then being like, okay, how are we going to get that movement? Mm. And often I think these these shifts like this come in unpredictable mm. times. I would say that it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen in therapy. Mm. And you speak to patients, you say, oh, that session was really good. And you go, oh, okay. And you say, well, which bit was good? And it was like some offhand comment that you've made mm. about something. Like, oh, you know, that sounds difficult. Mm. Not the very well thought out therapeutic <laughs> intervention <laughs> yeah. that you employed. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go to the West Wing. So in the West Wing, it's a comedy drama about the President of the United States, Jed Bartlett. And in this, they bring in a psychiatrist, Dr. Stanley Keyworth, who'd previously worked with one of the other staff members, who was uh, shot and had uh, trauma, and that was Josh Lyman. And in this episode, they've brought in Dr. Stanley Keyworth sort of without really telling him that he's meeting the president, and then he's brought in to do a session with the president who's suffering from insomnia. A little bit before this clip, we don't play where they're sort of negotiating out and the president's sort of being a little bit antagonistic is what I'd say. And so this is... a. This is when they start to get to the crux of it. And the lead up to it is that he had talked about the fact that his father had never liked him. It can't be easy being you. I told you. I don't mean the job. I meant, uh, you know, being inside your head. What's wrong with my head? I don't know. Of course not. That would be $385 an hour. They keep moving the goalposts on you, don't they? Get A's, good college, Latin honors, get into the London School of Economics, get a good teaching job, Ivy League school, tenure. Now you gotta publish, now you gotta go to Stockholm. It's not good for a person to keep setting goals? Uh, it probably is, but it's tricky for somebody who's still trying to get his father to stop hitting him. Well, I'm told that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Yeah, but that's most men. That's not you. That's the other people, the ones who feel stress. You're destined for something else. I have abilities. And now you have an opportunity to use them. I think I have. That room I passed down the hall on the left, it's got a name, right? I think you're talking about the Lincoln bedroom. Right. This is a hell of a curve you get graded on now. Lincoln freed the slaves and won the Civil War. Thank you. Next. And what will you be singing for us today, Mr. Bartlett? Well, we've had six straight quarters of economic growth. That's not easy. 
Okay. It's not easy. I believe you. I think I've made tough choices. I think Lincoln did what he thought was right, even though it meant losing half the country. I think you don't do what you think is right if it means losing Michigan's electoral votes. You don't know anything. I'll be the first to admit that. I'm not trying to get my father to like me. Good, because it's never, never going to happen. Look, we're done for the night. What? We've been here for two hours. It was a double session. We're done for the night. Stanley, I hate to put it this way, but I'm me and you're you, and we're done when I say we're done. No. I think you could use some assistance right now, sir. Use me, don't use me. But all I can offer you is this. I'll be the only person in the world, other than your family, who doesn't care that you're the president. Our time is up. So in the end there, you don't see it, obviously, with the audio. Uh, he looks at a photograph of his father and then he looks up at a painting of President Lincoln mm. and, then, and then lights himself a cigarette. What do you think about the therapist in that scene? Can you relate to that way oh. of working? Uh, a little bit, yep. Mm. I absolutely love this scene and I really love this therapist. Like, I really... Like it's like oh, <laughs> it's this, the setup for this is it's the psychologist's wet dream really mm. like that I'm being called on to treat someone really important mm. and uh, nailing the session. Mm. What was your question? Do I relate to? I think so. I'm not consistently firm mm. with my patients. I'm pretty gentle uh, until I'm certain, mm. until I think that I need to be firm. Uh, but I do relate to the. Being firm, you know, so what happens is he delivers a formulation about the problem. So he repeats back to him and says, well, you know, your father isn't going to love you mm. and you need to be aware of that. But then he's sort of quite supportive and he, and he pulls back on a couple of things. He, he kind of pushes him and he gets a bit angry and a bit annoyed mm. and he just goes with it. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about it. Mm. I legitimately don't. I'm here for you. I can, I can, I can, I'll hear that. Mm. I'll hear what's going on for you. I think you do need some help, but this is the thing. And then, and these are the boundaries of what, what that thing is. This you, is, just, this is just, my role and this is where could, I fit. Could you imagine saying, saying that to someone so powerful? I would be, I mean, I, I would, I get it. And mm. I reckon I'd be able to do it in, in many cases. Well, I think the thing is with, the dynamic that's set up is that you couldn't approach it in a different way or it would come across as I, th I think he would be dismissed or, yes. or treated as powerless where actually the dynamic needs to be a little bit more even. It, it can't be that he's the president and able to push me around, push you around. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, I think your job as a therapist is to, you have to push emotional buttons. Mm. And so in, there are some cases when you go to therapy as a client, when you're the therapist, those you don't really have to do too much. Mm. You just have to ask them about how their day is mm. and what's been happening and, and that comes out. Mm. But for people who are more well defended and particularly someone as in a powerful position where they would be surrounded by 
people who would not challenge them, mm. then they that would take a bit of work. There's a great doco, some kind of monster with Metallica, mm. and there's a lot of a lot of that pushing them forward. Yeah. Into it, it feels very much like mental chess. Yeah, matching him where he's at, and and playing playing the moves that need to be played in order to you know elicit some of those emotions and bring that to the surface because he is quite defensive and obviously needs help. I think by this point he hasn't slept for five days or something. Is yeah, that the... Yeah, four, four, four five days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also think that it's interesting how much he matches the president in terms of the way that he speaks and his directness. Do you do that? Do you find yourself with your clients that you match? Yeah. Where they are. What I, what I was going to say. What's interesting is it's it's intuitive. Yeah, yeah. You don't do it deliberately. No. But you find yourself doing that. I find myself matching in tone, mm. in words, in accent. Yeah. So in Australia, you know, there's sort of the main dimension of Australian accent is sort of more eloquent mm. to much thicker <laughs> um, and much more nasal, um, like that, and. It, depending on where things are at, like I'll notice that I'm doing it sort mm. of intuitively to match it. I but find it quite funny because, of course, I see a wide range of ages. Yes. I then, depending on what my day looks like, I can go from talking with the vocabulary range of a three-year-old yep. to an 18-year-old in the space of, you know, a couple of hours. Mm. And it, it's quite interesting, the same with swearing. So, that, you know, kids will often ask me the ones who are a little bit more anxious will kind of say oh is it all right if I swear and my response is always like I'll match you if if you swear if you want to describe your day as shit then that's what I'm gonna say I'm gonna say why was your day so shit if that's not how you do things then that's fine and it's yeah they ask (laughs) and sometimes they'll come back in they'll kind of go the swearing rule still applies right (laughs) and I'll have to go yeah Mm, like you know Come out with it. Whereas he was like in the hospital setting, it's a much more formal setting. Mm. And so either people will be people who just don't give a shit mm. and will just say whatever. But most people won't. And frequently I'm like, yeah, you know what? This situation's shit. Mm. It's really fucked. Yeah. And I, I mean, that probably sounds trite to many of you listening, listening at home. But I think actually to have someone uh, with a hospital name badge and the title doctor and blah, 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 mm. to say, you know, this is shit, mate. Yeah. And um, it's the same with kids. They're used to adults being more authoritarian or more directive. And so having someone who will just kind of go, like, match where they are, will sit on the floor, will lie on the floor, yeah. will use the same words that they're using, yeah. helps level that out and make things feel more comfortable. Yeah. And more validated. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about that clip that we just played is just how little is actually said, Mm. but the intensity of the emotion, he's angry Mm. and he's unhappy. Mm. You know, he really is. And he doesn't want to admit that. Mm. And he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to have to deal with it. You know, it's, it's weak. And he certainly doesn't want to have to do that with someone whose job is to focus on those yeah. things. Like that's the worst thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah he, does, he doesn't think much of it. And there's a later sort of thing where he's doing a therapeutic assignment. He's visiting the grave of somebody and remarks, oh, you know, this therapist has got me doing this. Mm. He sort of he resents it. Mm. But he does follow through on it. Mm. So, mm. 
Next up, we're going to watch a clip from In Treatment. Have you watched In Treatment? No. No. So it's quite an intense show. It focuses on Paul, who's a psychotherapist, and each episode looks at a session that he has with a client. So you see over weeks what his sessions look like, and then in amongst that is his supervision sessions, so the times when he meets up with a senior therapist to discuss what's gone on during the week. Yeah, so supervision is this really interesting thing. Everyone asks psychologists, you know, how do you cope with what you do? Do you get help yourself? Mm-hmm. And so supervision is an interesting process where you have a senior psychologist like Amy was saying mm-hmm. and you discuss your clients and what is interesting is how it often often resembles therapy. Mm. Because there are often parts of the dynamic which hit particular nerves for you or there are particular people that you get stuck with and so it's quite helpful to talk that through. Uh, Probably the only other thing to set up for this one is that Gina has supervised Paul in his training and it didn't go so well and then he's come back to her to talk about this particular issue. He's sort of deliberately sought her out to get her feedback on this. And the patient's name he's talking about is Laura. Laura. It's really tough when I'm alone with her, you know. And she's asking me, please just be honest, please tell me how you feel. And I can't. I guess the reason I'm here is because <clears throat> I really want to look at this. I want to examine it. I want to be absolutely clear about this. 100%. That it's not. <sighs> that I'm not. That you're not, well. Paul, you need to say it. You need to finish the thought. What I want isn't in some way immoral or unethical. And that it's not abuse, an abuse of my power as a doctor, as a patient. I'm not pushing you out. I'm not running away, no matter what you tell me. At the Institute, maybe that was hubris on my part. I don't know. It might have been. But I won't do that now. I won't reject you. That doesn't mean I'm going to let you do something that you'll regret the rest of your life. Not without fighting you every step. If it's safety you need, this is it. We've already crossed lines of conduct in this room. I'm saying that because I want you to know how far I'm willing to go. Whatever you tell me, I'm here for you. I won't abandon you, no matter what. I'm here. I love Laura. Every word out of her mouth, every move she makes, I just... I love talking to her, you know, just listening to it. I know it's a joke. Cliché. 50-year-old married man in love with a 30-year-old. But I want to be with her. And I don't care what it means, and I don't care what it costs. I don't care. 
I love her. Very powerful scene. It is. What did you what did you want to talk about with that one? I think what I like about it is that she really shows the power of silence and of just sitting with what someone needs to say and sitting with the space that they need. Mm. She's not pushing, she's not challenging. It's just here's the space you can fill it. Mm. I like that and then I think also you know, there are so many times when you're in a room with someone where they need to hear that they're safe and they're not going to be judged. Yeah. And it's not enough just to be there. Sometimes you need to name that. Mm. Um, and so I've given a, a version of that without perhaps the comment about ethical misconduct. <laughs> but um, <laughs> to clients before, I'm not going anywhere. You can come out with whatever's going on in your head and I'll still be here. Yeah. And that in and of itself can be a really powerful thing. Yeah, it's like, is there something that you wanted to say? Mm. It looks like there might be something you want to tell me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm struck by like her silence and stuff like that. Mm. He's in a really difficult spot Mm. is is sort of what I I sort of think about. Mm. And it does happen Mm. to therapists, male and female, where they fall in love or they you know, become infatuated or have a very strong emotional connection, you very, very, very much worry about a particular patient. Mm. And all of those things, so like you'd think that, so you analyze this clip, that, oh, I'm frustrated with the patient. People would think that that's the problem, mm. that this particular problem is much, much more difficult it's to manage. It's much more complex. It's, it, so it's much more complex from a, if you're a clinician there's probably a level of shame mm. around and like you don't actually want to admit this. Because I mean, it's kind of the one golden rule. Yeah. yeah. The, the, you don't become too attached well, in whatever the, the, way. The, the, the golden rule is don't, don't sleep, sleep with, with your the clients. clients. Yeah. Right. And, and so this is obviously the prelude to that. Mm. And I think for clinicians they can be – you can like a client and not realise it. Mm. So and when I say like, you know, that can go from, you know, this person's – nice chat to all the way up to what he's talking Mm. about and you cannot realize it because it feels comfortable yeah feels familiar feels familiar right Mm. and so having a process of realizing this Mm. and realizing you're emotionally attached Mm. in a way that is problematic Mm. is very difficult Uh, i don't know if you've had i haven't had what he's talking about but i've had other instances where I've I've realised I was emotionally involved yeah. in particular ways and that came as a bit of a shock. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which sort of sounds a bit strange. No, but it's it's also it's the dynamic of the relationship as well. Like it's quite a you know, it's a personal relationship in its feel to it, even though perhaps your client doesn't know much about you, you know all of this stuff about them. There's kind mm. of an intimacy in them sharing their yes. life and things they haven't told people before with you. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is empathising with where they're at and sort of connecting with how they feel mm. in a way that's quite deliberate and focused that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily do yeah. out in the world. So it can be quite, I think, intoxicating for clients as well that you're you know, focusing your entire attention on yeah. where they're at. Yeah. So their response to you 
shows more of that connection yeah. than what you might get otherwise. It also can subvert the therapy. Mm. And so actually it can serve the purpose of helping a patient avoid their problems Absolutely, yeah. by being desirable. Mm. And, you know, I've had times where I've noticed a pattern of behavior where I thought, hang on, we're getting chummy. Mm. And so the next session I need to try something different mm. and see what happens and see what happens and frequently it moves the therapy forward mm. because you break, basically you're breaking a pattern of behavior absolutely so yeah i mean it's really interesting mm. and i think like we say about the power of space but then the i'm here mm. i'm going to listen to you mm. but also i'm, I'm not gonna go- let you i'm gonna i'm not gonna let you hurt yourself mm. there's something very containing about that and that's what a parent does exactly right? yeah is i care so much about you mm then I'm going to stop you from hurting yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's it's why it's really, really powerful. Mm. It's interesting that it's a older woman, you know, it's the, the mm. mother, the mother, son. mother kind of figure. Mother. It's really, really interesting. Mm. So we're going to go from a serious one to probably even a more serious one. Mm-hmm. This is probably the first ever, this character is probably the first ever encounter I had with a therapist mm. and I think and re-watching this made me realize perhaps just how big an influence this character had on me. It's interesting you say that because I think that the one we're finishing up with next would have been the first psychologist I saw on TV yeah, right. as well. Yeah. So the show that we're going to talk about is MASH and the therapist is Dr. Sydney Friedman. So MASH is a TV show that ran for a Oh, over a decade. Mm. It's set in the Korean War and it's about a mobile army surgical hospital, MASH, and the 4077. And in this episode, the doctors at the hospital have called on the psychiatrist, Dr. Sidney Freeman, to come in and assess a young corpsman who has forgotten who he is. So we're going to we'll split this into two clips. First of all, this is the assessment which is relatively brief, but it still kind of gets at it. Jerry, there's someone here to see you. I wish it was Rita Hayworth or Rita Hayworth with a mustache, but it's just this guy. Dr. Friedman. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a psychiatrist. I just want to ask you a few questions, if you don't mind. Can we start with your name? Well, according to them, I'm Jerry. Nielsen. Thank you. Do you have any idea where you are? Hospital. Margaret! <laughs> My mouth is shut. <laughs> Do you know where this hospital is? Wait a minute, they told me. No. Do you remember anything that happened before you arrived here? Nothing at all. Jerry, can you tell me what year this is? Why don't you take it easy for a while? I wish I could help you. We'll talk later. I'll be right back. You got a verdict, Sidney? Well, my guess is something terrible happened to him out in the field, and he decided to deal with it by not dealing with it. What can we do? I'd like to hypnotize him. Hopefully dig up whatever he so desperately wants to forget. You do it up here? Right under the big top. However, I'll need a couple of volunteers from the audience. Take me with you. Me, me. 
Okay, Hawkeye and the little guy with the hairy lip. Margaret, I'd like you to go in and try to keep him calm. Sure. I guess all I get to do is wish you luck. We could use some of that, too. So what do we do? Either of you ever act in the school play? Oh, yeah. In college, I played Hamlet. No kidding. I was pre-med. I was the only one who could get his hands on a skull. What I'm going to do is try to have Nielsen relive his trauma under hypnosis. Bring him back to the exact time and place where he lost his memory. How do we fit in? Tell you over a beer. You're going to help me recreate that time and place. You'll be everything from the voices of his buddies to the sounds of the battle. Uh, wait sounds a of the battle? Sidney, you got to be kidding. I've done a few of these before. I've seen it work. I lied to you about Hamlet. <laughs> the young man is not orientated to time, mm. person or place. So TPP, you'd mm-hmm. see in the medical file. <laughs> and he's dissociated. And I think the thing is with memory loss, even though in movies and things like that, it's often portrayed as amnesia for a whole range of different time periods or up until now, I can't remember anything. That's not often the case in in practice. So it's often for a particular period or it's you can't encode new memories or you can't remember long term, but you can remember short term. And he, anytime you see something where it's kind of this blanket a whole chunk of things missing, you start to query about whether there's psychological things going on rather than something like a brain tumour or a head injury or something like that. Yeah, so he does a quick assessment. But also what I liked about it is like he he says, you know, we'll talk. Hmm. You know, and I think that that's very much actually what you've seen or heard through all of these clips. There's a commonality of quiet assurance. Hmm. Like, I've got this. Hmm. What, what you've got, I can hold, hmm. right? And, and, yeah, they don't respond with shock or or with confusion of, like, how am I going to manage this? It's just, yep. yeah, we'll work on this. Yeah, we're going to work on this mm. and I'm here with you. Mm. And so there's that very much that person-centered therapy. Definitely. So now we're going to cut to the sequence where they're doing the reliving of the traumatic event. So this is a bit heavy, but stick with us. All your thoughts are on the pen. Only the pen. You're sleepy. You're in a very relaxed state, deeper and deeper. Isn't it relaxing? Now, I want you to hold your left arm straight out. Okay, you're still concentrating. You're very relaxed. He's ready. To make a left turn? You can put your arm down. All right, you know what to do, so just follow the leader. Operating in Carnegie Hall, I wouldn't be this nervous. Jerry, open your eyes. You're in Korea. Most of the time you're with the 5th Regimental Combat Team. Where was your unit last night? Hill 403. The Chinese threw a battalion at us. There was confusion. Shells dropping all around. Bodies are falling. You've got to get to them. Gorman, Gorman, stay down. I'll get to you. Just stay down. Thompson, help me here, will you? What do you need? My bandages and morphine. I left them in the bunker. Don't worry, buddy. You're going to be all right. Incoming round. Look out. Thompson. What is it? Where's Stevie? Stevie? My kid brother. He's in your platoon. Have you seen him? Sidney, his brother. Just answer no. No, I haven't seen him. Oh, God. Stevie. I gotta find Stevie. Where is he? 
I gotta find him. I gotta find him. Lieutenant, have you seen my brother? I don't know what to say. Go with it, anything. Damn it, Lieutenant, answer me! Is he dead? Uh, I don't know, Nielsen. I haven't seen him. I gotta find him. Please help me find him. We're looking, Jerry, but we can't find him. We have to. I promised Mom I'd look out for him. She's counting on me. I'm the oldest. She said it's my job. Not that, too. It'll kill her. Stevie! Stevie! Looked. We've looked everywhere. What happened to Stevie? Oh, Stevie. Stevie, no. Please, no. Tell me, Jerry. I found him. He never got out of the bunker. Never made it. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry. Jerry, I'm going to bring you out now. But I want you to listen to me first. We need your help. We need you to retain your memory. You're Sergeant Jerry Nielsen, and you're from Hartford, Connecticut. It's okay to remember. We're going to talk a lot about this. We're going to help you, and you're going to help yourself. All right, on the count of three, you'll wake up. One, two, three. <laughs> it's okay, Jerry. It's okay. Let it out. Let it out. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, wow. It's intense every time you watch it. Every time. And it does amaze me that it was just on after school. Yeah. And we just watch it. Yeah, it is quite bizarre to think that. It is. Let me let me run yeah. through technical things. So yeah. the so what they've done there is a version of reliving a traumatic event mm. and that's a mainstay of trauma approach mm. the way that they've done is through hypnosis yeah i don't i'm not knowledgeable about it at all so no, i can't wait in on that but and then they bring him out of it and so what they've done is they've identified the emotion and then the immediate therapeutic task was then to uh, address that emotion so right at the end he they're they're hugging him mm. and telling him it's okay to remember yeah you know, and then we're going to talk about it. It's going to be all right. Mm. And this is some of the more focused and difficult kind of work that you do as a therapist. It's also, it's possibly some of the most rewarding mm. work you get to do and you don't get to do it very often. No. I think that those those moments don't happen all that often. No. But very interesting. Mm. What were you thinking? I I find it interesting the use of other people making noises and things like that on the side. I think that's the the one bit that throws me about that scene mm. in that it, before I'd seen that scene, I don't think I've, I've seen or heard of people sort of acting out other parts of it when yep. doing that kind of work. Like it tends to come 
from the client, them saying what's going on mm. or, or what's happening. And often it's about them telling that story or the accuracy of that. So I think that's the one bit of that scene that throws me of kind of going, there would be some people who would be quite rattled about, say, if the commander or someone said something that wasn't actually what was said. Mm. There would be some people who would be thrown by that. I can see how it would be helpful having some of those noises, especially how much trauma is triggered by things Somatic. like yeah. yeah, noises, smells, things like that. But yeah, it's, so I mean, I it's an interesting approach. Well, I mean, my like, I don't know anything about this really about dissociation. Mm. I mean, we talked about a <laughs> couple of pods ago, mm. but you know that that my understanding of that really was that they're activating mm. the memory because yeah. he's trying very like he's Hard successfully block it. blocked it mm. and so they're forcing it back in mm. like he's in this heightened so hypnosis is his heightened state of suggestibility mm. and that's why you would then that's why you would do it in that mm. kind of scenario so but you know the, the core treatment approach the nuts and bolts of it mm. Oh. Eliciting a memory and then following it and then validating it yeah, and like, then healing it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And that's what's been interesting with all of these actually is that the therapy techniques haven't really been forefront. Mm. It's the relationship. It's the relationship, yeah. Other thoughts? Mm-hmm. Last one. All right. We're going to finish off with Harriet the Spy. Have you seen Harriet? No. Okay. Harriet the Spy is a movie that was released in the mid-90s based on a book. It's about a girl who's, I think, 11 years old and she's pretty much raised by her nanny. Her parents both work and have sort of busy lives and have sort of outsourced their parenting. And her nanny helps her navigate the world by kind of encouraging her to act as a bit of a spy. She has some social difficulties and so she you know, get to know the neighbourhood and the people around the place. She carries around a notebook and, and jots down what they're doing and her thoughts on what kind of people they are and things like that and treats herself very much as a spy. So at the point where this clip comes in, her parents have sent her to see a child psychologist because the nanny has, I think she got married or something like that and resigned. And so for Harriet, this is a big loss and she's struggling to cope with it. And so the parents have sent her to see this, see the psychologist. So this is their first session. Well, what do we do now? We can do anything you like. What am I supposed to do? How about a game? Do you play chess? Golly was gonna teach me, but... Golly, who's he? Just somebody. You sit here and play with this stuff all day? Don't you have toys at home? Yeah, but I'm 11. You stink. What are you doing? Just taking notes. Are they the mean, nasty kind? Or the regular kind. Why? Because I'm just telling you, it's tough getting away with a nasty kind these days. Thanks for the advice. Nobody ever takes your notebook away from you, I bet. Tell you what. How about I give you a notebook? Would you like that? Yeah, sure. This guy's not bad. 
definitely one of those people Gully says deserves a closer look. At least he knows the value of a good notebook. Harriet. Hmm. It's time to go. Can I keep the notebook? I'll have to talk to your parents about that. So what was the game? Do you want to describe the game that they're playing? The game is called... What's it called? It's like the two... There's like the a blue, game, it's, it's a, a... blue plastic robot and a red, a red plastic, plastic robot. robot. And they're having a boxing match, essentially. Yeah. And you each control control one of the, the robots. There's a great Futurama clip yeah. with that as well. <laughs> I really want one <laughs> for my office. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so I think... It's deductible, Amy. I know, right? <laughs> I think this would have been the first psychologist I saw. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that today as I was driving. I think he's it quite might a have tall, been. kooky looking individual. He is, and his office is sort of filled with modern furniture, and it looks quite kind of rigid at the start. And then he opens up this cupboard, and it's full of toys. Uh, I think what I like about this is that it captures quite well what some of working with kids can be like. That you'll be playing a game or something like that, and they're generally a bit more relaxed than if you're doing something else and then they'll come out with something that'll give you a real clue to what's been going on for them and then you go with that I think the other thing that I quite like is that she's suspicious of him writing notes and I've had that before I've had kids want to write notes about me while I write notes about them so this this scene I have had many times before Mm. and it's often quite interesting even the kids who can't write yet, so they'll be little enough to hold a pen. <laughs> we'll sit there and take notes about me while I take notes about them. <laughs> just Hunter's just looking broken by that That's comment. So adorable. <laughs> it's pretty cute, but it gives them a sense of control as well. It's kind of like, yeah, we're we're doing this together. Yeah, right. Mm. And so I was trying to think of child psychologist roles in movies or TV where they were more realistic and this is pretty much the exception so to the rule, I think. what's going on for the patient here? Like, what would you elicit? I... Child psychologist? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what? I think it, it gives a hint to how she feels like the external world treats her. So, you know, she makes that comment about, you know, no one taking a notebook away from him. That you... What has happened before this is that her parents have taken away her notebook mm. because of what she's been writing in it. So she's lost her nanny and then she's also lost this item of security mm. that's given her some sense of control over the world. And so she kind of lets out a little bit of anger about that. She's also wary about him and wary about the world. And so you get a bit of a sense of where, you know, what she's like in the world. Mm. How difficult she finds it being around people. Yeah, no, and I got I got the sense that he's like, yep, you can be wary of me. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah, you're allowed uh, to be wary. You're allowed to ra- be. Rather than sort of like I think parents can be, no, don't be upset about this. Mm. No, you can stop act. You know, yeah. I want you to act in this particular way. Yeah, it's um, not a big deal. It's like, not a big deal. Yeah. That kind of thing. Mm. I think it gives a good picture of what the initial kind of rapport process can be like. But then also often with kids, you'll work on things through games. So, you know, you'll stir up some of that anger and really follow it through. So, you know, encourage her to really make the robots punch one another or whatever it might be. And then work with that, work with what that's about and how that's expressed through play. Yeah, right. Yeah. And with her wanting to write, often with kids who are into writing or things like that, you then do things like 
journaling or story writing or things like that that help tap mm. into that narrative. I think the other thing I like is that they go from sitting in these chairs talking to then he gets out the toys and they're sitting on the floor cross-legged. Yeah. It's where she wants to be. It's comfortable. Yeah. Most of my day is spent on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I recently mm. visited your office and you've actually got quite a big yeah. big floor space and some and awesome cushions. Lego that I, yeah. I went straight for. I was you like, did. I was like, oh, hang on. <laughs> Am I a child? Am I a client? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Uh, like I always like I listen to the way you talk about play therapy and mm. I always wonder about play therapy for adults. Mm. Like I, I would be fascinated to do it. Um, yeah. Not that I even know how to do it with kids, but there's something sort of interesting. And I was having a conversation earlier with someone today about, you know, board games are really interesting to play with people because it takes them out of their out of their uh, zone. Same mm. like 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 singing or mm. the department that I got trained in. We would always do a Christmas review, mm-hmm. so you had to do a skit, right? And it's always really interesting to kind of put people in a different different role mm. and, and see what and, comes out and see see what comes out mm. and for adults with the play side of thing often there are people who are struggling who never got a chance to play yeah so and even for older kids as well like she's on the older end of childhood but for example i can remember running a group that was for 12 year old boys who all had these really intense anger issues and we set up the group in one end of a room that was used for preschool playgroup and they walked in and rather than going for what we'd set up they just ran to the preschoolers toys and none of them had had a chance to play during that period so a lot of what our therapeutic work was was these really tough aggressive 12 year old boys dressing up in tutus and rolling a train backwards and forwards in a way that a three-year-old would do because Mm. they needed to do that they needed Mm. to play and they hadn't been able to before so it's providing those opportunities and then and not being too structured. Yeah, is it, letting so, it go. It's so interesting, like because the adult work that I do is so verbal mm. and so imagery, verbal based, mm. and the way that you talk about your work is so much more. It's it's not language based. No, it's non verbal. And yeah, do you find that that's then having learnt about adult psych that that's a bit of a because you think in a, a non-verbal way, does that? Mm, I think that, that a supervisor would refer to it as my pre-clinical training yes. of just how I was in the world. Yes. I've always been interested in people's behaviour and why people do the things they do and where they sit, who talks to who. Like I noticed those kind of dynamics. And so I think that I was a bit primed for it. Yeah. Um, the adult stuff helps me to be able to then explain that to parents. Yeah, right. It's then communicating that to parents and to other clinicians going, this is why it's important or this is why it looks like we're just playing, but actually this is what just happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of a translator role. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of the time parents are concerned with play therapy that you're just playing. Yeah, you're wasting time. And that that's a negative thing. Yeah, Mm. yeah, which is telling in of itself. Yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting because I'll often come out of a therapy session and say, want to give feedback to the team. Mm. And it's sort of interesting, oh, me giving feedback, it sort of like engages this different part of my brain mm. to kind of put into words what we just did. Mm. Yeah. Even though it's a more verbal 
yeah. session than what yeah. I would yeah. have. Yeah. So like to, to provide the summary, it's like, oh, okay. So the reason I did that was this. this what I think is going on is this, and that's because in, this was the way things were taught, mm. you know, blah, 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 blah. And so this is probably what I think you should do. Mm. But it might come out as like, I think this is what you should do because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the formulation will kind of come to me as I'm talking it mm. through. Yeah. But the there's a formulation in there. Mm. But you wouldn't have been manually walking through that as no. you were with wouldn't the client. Wouldn't have been like, oh, Amy's got this problem, so we'll do we'll this. We'll do thing. this. No. No, no, no. It's not it's not that straightforward. I mm. mean, I think if you spoke to a mechanic or uh, an architect or, or whatever. It'd be the same kind the of same kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. This is really, really interesting. Yeah. Cool. So shall we wrap it up? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So we really hope you've enjoyed that. If you have got this far and you have thought of any movies that you'd like us or TV shows that you'd like us to cover, then shoot us an email at twoshrinkspod at gmail.com mm-hmm. or our Twitter at twoshrinkspod and let us know because I think we'll definitely do this again at some point. Yeah, it was fun. And you can also check us out on our website www.twoshrinkspod.com. And the best thing that you could do for us would be to rate or review the show uh, mm. on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen. And if you like the show, please tell someone about it. Word of mouth, social media, all that kind of stuff mm. because that's how we get more listeners and we really enjoy doing the show. Yeah, thank you for sticking with us for 50 episodes. Yeah, it's been really, really great, 50 episodes. I, I said to Amy when we started, let's aim to do 10. Yeah. So the fact that we're still doing it has been really, really great. So we hope you all have a happy new year, good Christmas and all that kind of jazz. Mm. We'll see you soon. See ya. I'm feeling good, ready to dig into all of it, abandonment issues, dissociative episodes, my dad, it's all on the table. Let's get into it. See you soon. It's happening. Maybe this time it's finally happening. This session is gonna be different it's gonna be so different i know this patient won't be indifferent this time around she'll want to grow i've been burned so many times by the girl who's committed so many burned crimes Yet I never lost hope or endurance Thank God I don't accept health insurance I charge $250 an hour now This session is gonna be useful If she's truthful about how she feels like only yesterday I was right here in this very room ignoring everything you said 